Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome back to We Move Through Stormy Weather, a fish podcast where we compare and contrast songs and the evolution of their jamming styles throughout the band's career. My name is Ryan Storm, and today I am joined by Brian, a.k.a. Jive Goose. While generally associated with the band Goose, Brian is also a longtime fish fan, having first seen the band in 1995 and has since numbered over 75 shows, including the legendary winter 1997 European tour. He fell in love with Goose in early 2019 and started the Jive Goose Twitter account shortly thereafter, where he is now the leading source for band news, set lists, and rankings in the community. Brian, you can say hi. Hello. Thank you so much for being on today. Really excited to dive into some fish with you. You know, we talk about Goose all the time, and so this is, you know, this is an, an area that you and I, I guess, haven't explored uh, together yet, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Stoked course um so how did you get into fish uh back in 1995 what was that so it was it was i think your kind of normal run-of-the-mill transition from grateful dead into fish that was happening around that time probably for a lot of people um certainly for most of my friends um and so uh yeah just you know first first years of college um just sharing music uh, you know, around the friend group. Um, and ultimately, you know, fish probably came up for us in probably like 1993, I would say, um, is when I had my first tapes. Um, and, and yeah, you know, um, I had some, I had some really close friends that were, that were really big deadheads. Mm -hmm. Um, so even though, you know, we had all, kind of heard of fish and we're starting to, to listen to fish. The, the group really spent a lot of time listening to the Grateful Dead at parties, just hanging out. I mean, it was pretty much Grateful Dead all the time. Must be um, nice. I wish, I wish they played the dead at parties now. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so, so I, you know, I really lash onto them um, probably the most in my friend group 
And yeah, I was going to the University of Nebraska at the time. And so in fall 95. Ooh, that was your first show? Fish came to Lincoln, Nebraska, um, where, oh. which is also where I'm, you know, it's, it's where my family lives. And, um, you know, I finished high school in Lincoln and, and went to the university there. So, so yeah, yeah. Huge hometown show. Um, and what a yeah, show. What, yeah. What a, what a, what a phenomenal show. Tweet um, prize opener that, oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. So tweezer reprise was the first song I saw live. Um, yeah. Phenomenal show. And you, you know, Trey wearing red for, for the Huskers. It was a home football Saturday, actually. Um, Is that the show where he's wearing that really tight red shirt? He's wearing a red shirt. I don't know how tight it was. <laughs> I think that, I think that was the really tight one. But yeah, there, it was, was a weird, uh, anyway. Yeah. So, you know, home football Saturdays in, in Lincoln, Nebraska are, you know, are kind of a sight to behold. Um, so t- tons of people downtown. The the venues pretty much was pretty much right downtown. Um, so yeah, so I'll never forget that night. I mean, it's uh, so many memories ingrained in my brain from that night for mm-hmm. a number of reasons. And and just over a year later, you traveled to Europe to see them. Uh, so did did you see a ton of shows in '96, um, or was it just kind of like an opportunity to travel Europe and also see a great band? So. So winter of 95, I decided to take a family friend up on their offer to move out to Northern California. And so I pretty much just got a one-way ticket and packed a suitcase and stayed with a family friend in Santa Rosa, um, you know, for a month or so. And then I, and then I got a place uh, with some other kids that I had met and and yeah, so so that year, uh, so the next shows I saw were Red Rocks, uh, well Park City, and then and then Red Rocks that that mm-hmm. run that kicked off the um, the summer tour in '96, uh, and then that fall I did um, most of that West Coast tour, uh, which ended with the Vegas show, twelve six ninety six. That's a crazy show. So. Uh, you know, I, I had a little bit of a gambling streak in me, um, and <laughs> yeah, I guess I probably still do. But so that night, uh, you know, that show was was in the in the it was the Aladdin Theater right inside the Aladdin Casino. So you literally you walk out the the theater doors and you're in the casino. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really cool experience. So I immediately hit the blackjack tables once the show ended, um, and you know, I want to say I won about nine hundred bucks over the into the wee hours of the morning. Nice. Yeah. So, so I was pretty happy with that. Drove back up to, to Santa Rosa. And I mean, within, within a few days, they announced that Europe tour. So I had all this, all this fresh money burning a hole in my pocket. So, <laughs> you know, my, my first thought was, well, yeah, let's, let's do this, you know? So bought a plane ticket. Um, you know, and these were the days where you, you know, you had to call these venues in Europe to buy tickets. Um, so that, that was an interesting experience. You know, there were cases where, you know, you couldn't really get an English speaking person on the phone. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if that was Brussels where that happened or, or Paris, but, um, so yeah, just, you know, got, got set up for that. Um, I was doing the, uh, fish AOL chat room back in those early days nice. of the internet. And so 
you know, I just kind of, you know, people were putting the word out like, hey, who's going to Europe? Um, and so I started a chat with a few people. I was just, I was, I went by myself. So um, I ended up meeting up with a girl who was from Boston, who was also going by herself. And we talked on the phone a couple of times before the, before the trip and, um, and just, you know, really enjoyed talking. And then of course we met in London uh, that first day and then traveled together for the, for, you know, the, all the shows that we hit. And mm-hmm. then I ended up moving to Boston um, a few months after I got back from that tour. So nice. Um, and yeah, and I know we'll talk more about that, that Karini today as well. Yes, yeah, so so we are talking about Karini. I did do this is the second episode of We Move Through Stormy Weather about Karini. Uh, you can listen to episode twelve, um, where I talked to Karina Reichman um, about uh, two Karinis that were impactful for us seeing live. Uh, that's a great episode from last spring. Um, but yes, today we've got two very very heavy hitters on the docket. Uh, you obviously picked the Amsterdam 97 Carini, the debut, uh, and I'm going with the uh, recent favorite, 101621 uh, from San Francisco, which I'm not 100% sure yet if it's my favorite Carini ever, but it's just so insanely good. So, you know, we're going to we're going to continue your Europe 97 tales and tell, what, what was it like in the room of this Amsterdam show? Uh, it was, I mean, it was amazing. It was at the time, certainly unlike anything I had ever experienced. Um, so that, so, you know, much like today, you know, pre-show everybody's kind of just, you know, huddling up in their groups, chatting, you know, discreetly getting high, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the kids on the floor sitting in circles. So, you know, it was no different in, 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 in that regard, other than the fact that everyone is just openly getting high. Right. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so, so experiencing that inside of a venue like that was definitely special. Um, and, and like I said, I mean, it, it's just, it, it, so cool and unique, mm-hmm. um, especially as, as kind of a younger person when, you know, you, you, you always have to be so secretive and everything has to be, you know, on the, on the down low. Um, so really cool just to be out in the open, um, just getting high. I remember right when the, and everybody, I mean, everybody's getting high in there. It's, it's as, Amsterdam. You, as, you, as, yeah. as you can imagine, yeah, it's Amsterdam. So, you know, it's the place is just enveloped in smoke. Yeah. And then another thing I remember is, you know, right when the lights went down, someone in our area had brought in, I mean, some kind of, this joint was had to be okay. So not as big as the joint that Coach smoked. Perry, <laughs> if you don't know, you should look up the the joint that Coach smoked in Perry, New York, June twenty twenty one Goose shows. It's it's pretty big. So not as big this, as that. But this thing was uh, oh yeah, I mean at least a probably a foot and a half long, and cool. you know with with a you know diameter of of probably two or three i mean just a just a, a monster joint and this guy started passing around and so it was comical um yeah you know but uh but yeah you know obviously not a huge venue um i remember that i think the paradiso you know it's an old church or something um i haven't revisited that in a long time um Let me see the capacity Capacity, Capacity Paradiso, Amsterdam. It is a fifteen hundred person venue, and so you you had just seen fish in the fall in arenas in the U.S. So this must have been 
a very different experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, honestly, that was, that was a big part of the draw for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was ready to go see fish anywhere at that point in my life. So, yeah. so, you know, this, this idea that, oh, wow, you know, I can go see them in tiny, you know, tiny venues by comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, this was, this was certainly the, you know, these were the peak years of my of my fish experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I fell asleep every night with headphones on listening to tapes. Right. Um, so it was just, it was just, it was just ingrained in my life at that point. Um, right. So, yeah. So, you know, and it's funny, I look back and I mean, we did, we, we didn't really do any sightseeing or, you, you know, were this, there, this, you saw fish, this you traveled. Yeah, this this trip was all about seeing fish. Now to be fair, I mean, you spent a lot of your days, just on the Traveling. train to the next, to the next town. Yeah. yeah. And then you, and then, you know, you're trying to find a spot and um, obviously a different experience than it would be today with, um, you know, the ability to, to use your smartphone for everything. Right. And at the uh, time back in Connecticut, some young children were growing up to form a band that you would fall in love with next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or maybe their parents were falling in love. Um, that, that, <laughs> no, that was the, <laughs> That that's that's my age. <laughs> oh, that's your okay. Okay, that's what I, at, at the time yeah. of this Amsterdam show. My parents were three months away from getting married. Um, but so let, let's talk about the music here a little bit. That big second set chunk of Down with Disease, Carini, Taste Down with Disease is legendary and has been uh, for so many years. You know, it's such an important turning fo- point for the band as well. Um, you know, and, and this tour was such an important turning point for them. You know, it, it's the midpoint between. Um, you know, them trying to figure out where to go next in 96 and, you know, the funk explosion of 97. And really over the course of this tour, I think, you know, the sound was changing a lot. Um, and even in this, you know, in this Karini jam, it's 21 minutes and they go through so many different jamming modes, you know, it's crazy. But so what was your first impression of this, you know, crazy segment of music okay so yeah this was this was fun to listen back to i haven't listened back to it for a while um yeah i mean down just a really good down disease just just in its own right um you know kind of kicking these this thing off um and uh yeah you know i jotted down some notes um to just kind of help help gather my thoughts because like you Mm -hmm. said, I mean, this is such a monumental, you know, section of music. Um, And just, you know, obviously I don't want to talk too much about the down with, down with disease, but um, like I said, I mean, it's, it's really good in its own right with probably, you know, I want to say like five or six minutes left um, of that down with disease. I mean, it's, it it gets, it really gets dirty and dark. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, just, just funky, you know, l- underwater liquid bass bombs from Mike and, um, just yeah. some, some kind of laid back start, stop jamming. Um, and then ultimately that morphs right into the, to the first ever opening Karini licks. Um, and I, you know, obviously no one there knew what, what this was. So, um, before the vocals kicked in, it was just kind of, oh, this is really, the, you know, this is interesting stuff. Gnarly, you know? yeah. 
Um, and so, you know, the, the, the verses and, you know, any semblance of the song that would later developed is really all abandoned within three minutes. Yeah. Within three I, I minutes think of the opening licks. Yeah. It, like, you know, they kind of modulate at like four minutes in, which is like, you know, barely a minute into the jam, which is it, which, you know, I, I think was kind of a shame because I really liked that first minute of, you know, continuing that funk groove they were in because it's so different from where Carini ends up, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's so much slower, so much thicker, you know, the riff that Trey plays is like, it's a slightly different variation of it. Um, and so to me, it was a really interesting, you know, transition to come uh, to happen so early in the jam, especially, you know, when I think of, you know, 97, they're, you know, really patient and long drawn out funk jams where this is still has that element of craziness from, you know, 94, 95 um, of like moving from one thing to another. Um, so that, that was a really cool thing for me, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it, it is interesting to, to listen back to back from, you know, this first ever 97 Carini to, to the one that you chose from, from just this past year. I mean, we could talk more about that later, but, uh, but yeah, I, I totally hear you from your perspective, kind of going backwards to this one, how that, how that must have sounded. Um, and, and just the overall sound of the band, uh, the mixing of the recordings. I mean, everything just sounds a little bit, um, a little bit different. Um, yeah. And, and, and this Carini, you know, there are a couple of points in it where I thought it could, you know, segue into a different song. Like I heard, like, I thought they could go into Llama. Um, I thought they could go into Llama around six and a half minutes in very, very easily. Um, like, and, and, you know, towards the end when they're hammering that like D vamp, I thought they could go into free. Um, but it's interesting, you know, they, they stick with it and they keep searching for new lands and they end up in that Yem jam at one point, uh, of the quiet section, which is really, really cool. Like, yeah. And, well, and yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, you're right. This, this has so many, so many unique, um, kind of changes, um, and, and themes. Um, but yeah, so c coming out of that you know, that, that initial kind of shift out of the song, I really like the, just, it's, it's a, they build the tempo and it's, it's really to a frenzy almost. Not um, almost. It is to a frenzy. <laughs> yeah, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And um, yeah. And, and then around eight minutes, Trey just takes off. Um, yeah. And, 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 and in this jam right here, I really hear, the birth of what would, you know, come to dominate a lot of the jams in fall 97. Um, you know, this crazy tray starts shredding and, you know, kind of more Hendrixy uh, kind of thing. But it, it's, you, you know, you hear so many different elements of what the band would develop over the course of the year, just in this 20 minute segment. Um, and, and yeah, to, to me again, like a lot of my problems with uh, fall 97, the band does feel a little bit disjointed for the first couple of minutes until, you know, just before eight minutes when they finally seem to all kind of meet up, like Trey and Paige feel like they're playing different things for the first few minutes of the jam there. Um, but just before eight minutes, they finally meet up, you know, Fishman is absolutely crushing it um, as he does. And 
Um, yeah, it's just in, incredible. Mike's Mike's baseline at one point almost sounds like he's playing like a variation of Wipeout. Um, it, it's just yeah, it's it's a really crazy machine gun jam. It just it takes a few minutes before they all feel like they're on the same page to me. Yeah, yeah, which is which is cool considering you know at this point you know we're talking about eight minutes in um, to Karini, but this is also coming off the back of that huge down with disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so the patience is is impressive at that point. You know, they really in a debut. I mean, every every from every angle you come, I mean, it's it's it is it is really good jamming and and really patient play to kind of find their way around, mm-hmm. uh, meet up and then figure out where they want to go next. Um, and I mean, after Trey, yeah. I, and, and I had the same thought, you know, during that, you know, between like eight and 11 minutes, I had the same thought about, yeah, this, this, this now sounds like fall 97 jamming. Mm-hmm. Um, and by, yeah, by, by, by 10 and a half minutes, it's just a freight train. I mean, it, it it's, it's, can't Such a stopped. great jam at that point. Yeah. And then, and then around 11 minutes, Trey starts looping and, <laughs> the, and those loops. I, I had, I had a, I had a big problem with those loops. Uh, you know, when it gets, when it gets, when they start to change the motif of the jam and it just continues to go on. Like, you know, there's a point where it just becomes annoying <laughs> and they got oh, to that it. point. I loved it. Um, and then Fish and Page lock into uh, kind of a somewhat syncopated or staccato groove. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that that kind of disassembles down into a series of stops and starts on Fish's beat, the, the type of thing that people would be wooing. Um, yeah, if they did that now. And then, then, they take some, sure. then they take some really long pauses. Uh, like... Yeah you know, they'll stop playing for like 10 seconds and then go back into the funk groove, which, which I found interesting. You know, it's like, they're purposely stopping the jam and making it, you know, feel weird. Like, I'm sure that must've been weird for you in the audience as well. Like, you know, are they done the jam? Are they, you know, are they going to keep playing? Like, cause they're stopping for a chunk. Yeah. Yeah. I, I recall that as well. Some, a, a couple of lengthy pauses. Um, yeah. But- and, when they, when they, when they, when they brought that back, um, and now, you know, so at about 15 and a half minutes, everything just collapses into such a beautiful place. And then that, this is, this is where you're, when, when you're talking about the, you know, the chill part of, of Yam, that's exactly mm-hmm. what I, what I think of every time I listen to this. Well, that's what it is. You know, by it, at first at 15 and a half, to me, it sounded like Fishman thought the jam was ending and that he was like, and you know, he plays something that sounds like, you know, that's it. Um, but then Trey, you know, comes in with this feedback and Paige comes in with the organ like 10 seconds later and he uses the volume pedal to just sweep it in so beautifully.
that 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 moment blew me away. Um, you know, I I absolutely love that, and it was just dreamy. Trey doing just all textural work, and if you think about where they, you know, what the jam sounded like five minutes earlier, you know, they go from this runaway freight train guitar shredding craziness to this serene and calm jam and then yeah and then fishman picks up uh around 16 just after 16 minutes fishman starts playing his like little ride cymbal thing from the quiet section of yem so then it's a full jam on it but yeah that was really cool transition and then um yeah and then you know you get to about 19 minutes and fish and trey just kind of propel everything Mm-hmm. back into that final melodic jam um, that ultimately melts into taste. Um, and for me, it, it really reminded me a lot uh, in some ways of the ending of the San Francisco Carini that I picked. Um, you know, a similar kind of bliss jam, similar sounding progression. Obviously, they approach it uh, from two very different moods. Um, you know, obviously, the San Francisco one is a lot more energetic than this, but that's, you know, it's not a knock on this very blissy jam. Um, and, and the San Francisco one for me is also a very interesting uh, juxtaposition of two jamming styles because for the first half of that jam, you know, they're in, or if not for the first half, but there, there's that middle segment where they're in that weird synth drenched, you know, loops, you know, space as well. And, you know, this one, obviously a rare, you know, all timer jam happening in the encore of a show, um, you know. As I, I talked about this uh, in the last episode when I when we talked about the bracket, um, I, you know, when this Karini happened, it was 2.30 in the morning here. You know, I was webcasting um, and it just it came as such a shock, you know, when Trey rips into something like that in the encore. Um, now, you know, I know obviously these days you're listening to a lot more goose than you are fish. Um, and, you know, how, how does how does this Karini how does the San Francisco Karini hit you now? So, <laughs> yeah, so, so that, so you, you, you bring up a good point there. Um, you know, I, I haven't been listening to a lot of fish. Um, and in fact, you know, when they came back in 2021 with so many shows, um, I was struggling to, to kind of find the time to, to keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, you know, obviously at, at this point, you know, my, my first choice is goose and, and I spent a lot of time you know, listening to goose. And so, um, so yeah, so, you know, I still have the live fish app. So, you know, I'll rely on, on folks and just kind of conversations and and banter and chat that I see on Twitter to kind of give me a sense of, you know, what I should go grab and listen to. Um, and, you know, I, I do like the style. I do agree with a lot of the feedback around, you know, 2021 fish and just how well they were, how well they were playing um, you know, the, the improvisational skills by these guys is so off the charts. Um, mm-hmm. and you, look, I, I, I can't disagree. I, I mean, you know, I saw most of my shows in 1.0 and, and obviously I recognize the greatness of that era. Um, but you know, I, I would have a hard time wholeheartedly disagreeing with people that are out there saying that, you know, fish is playing some of their best music. Um, right now. And, and it's like different, it's think. different music. Mm-hmm. They're jammed. Yeah. And, and, and that's one thing that I noticed about 
you know, this Karini jam um, that you picked is I have a, I do have a little bit of a hard time sometimes staying, like it doesn't feel danceable to me at, at some point. And interesting, you know, I, I, I have a little bit of a hard time sometimes kind of staying engaged um, with, with some of what I hear from, from fish when they do go deep. Um, I like it, but there is that part of me that, that always kind of says, well, this, this isn't moving me. Right. So I, I guess that's, that's what grabs you about goose a lot too, is because for the most part with their jams, they've always got that, you know, that danceable beat happening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, fish did that. Yes. You know, and, and, and now they're yeah, now they're exploring, you know, new territories and just soundscapes and, you know, textures. And it does sound cool. I feel like I start to hear I don't want to say the same jams because that's not fair, but but there is a there is a style mm-hmm. that I hear jumping out a lot of these um, you know, 20, 25 minute jams that Fish has been doing. Um over this over the past year or so yeah and, and that's the that's the sci-fi soldier kind of uh you know influence on the jams they played last year you know a lot of synth trays synth pedals um you know and, but to me that this karini um you know just the way the band so effortlessly moves from this beginning uh you know they they modulate into a bliss jam pretty quickly um nice uh, major key, you know, and then Trey, um, Trey, like very smoothly just goes right back into minor around eight minutes in the rest of the band stays in major for a while. Um, and then slowly the band just kind of dives into this, you know, much darker jam led by, you know, what page is doing on the Moog one, which is just like, to me, it just sounds like, you know, like, uh, well, his, his initial, you know, kind of rise on the synth sounds to me like a wave, like kind of rising out of the ocean. And then it's just like something like some of the weird, crazy things that he's doing later is like a wave, like crashing on the beach or, you know, whatever. That's just how I envision it. I um, mean, comparing that to his synth playing in the Amsterdam one, where obviously his synth arsenal is very different. Like all he, this is, um, you know, the winter 97 tour was the last tour before page got his Yamaha CS 60, um, which would come to define a lot of the band's jams from 97 to 99. Um, you know, it's the one that's the meat stick synth. You know, you hear it all over 97. Uh, what's the use now? Um, but all he's got on this winter, you know, 97 tour is the little Moog Source synth. Uh, it's the one that he's had since 94. Um, and at this point, you know, his synth playing is obviously not a focal point of what the band is doing. Um, as it is now, um, but he he uses it as an opportunity mostly in kind of like you know kind of soupy sections of the jam. So when that Karini gets into that soup, you can kind of hear Page making computer noises, uh, kind of almost in the background. So you know he's not taking a lead role um, on the synths yet, which he would be doing in just a few months. Um, but it you know it's cool to hear, especially knowing where they're gonna be. You know that summer uh, in 97 um, it's cool to hear you know how they're kind of adapting to the new funk jams without you know fully getting there yet uh, if that makes sense yeah um but 
yeah, this this San Francisco Carini, I mean, th- this this few minutes of darkness um, from around, uh, you know, 10 minutes until, uh, where is it? 10 minutes until like 13 minutes. Um, it's really, really cool because, you know, Fishman just keeps pushing. And just like in the, in the Amsterdam version, but in a different way, he's just, he keeps driving the jam. And obviously it's John Fishman. He drives every jam, but there are certain times where he sticks out to me as like, you know, this jam could collapse into space very easily, but he is insisting on pushing this beat forward. Um, and, you know, that's what I think it makes a lot of jams like the Deer Creek Simple so incredible. Um, it's just because of what Fishman is doing. And then the way he pushes there, um, you know, while, while Trey and Page are both um, doing a lot of textural and loop work and, you know, getting weird with it. Um, but yeah, I, it, I love that. I love that middle segment. Yeah. Yeah. I really, so, so I did enjoy very much the, the you know, the, the first jam um, and then this, this middle part that, that you're talking about. Um, and yeah, you know, it's interesting. Fishman really does. You, you look at a lot of these kind of ambient or just heavy effects laden type jams that are happening. And it's really easy to get lost in, what Paige and Trey are doing, especially, mm-hmm. um, and Mike to a, to a lesser extent, but just because these sounds are so interesting to our ears. Um, so, so it's really easy to, to hone in on that, but yeah, Fishman is really affecting a lot of the shifts that are happening. You know, he's steering this in, in many ways as, as much as everyone else, if not more in, in some cases. Um, and his playing is so nuanced um, and unique in so many ways. Um, and in jams like this, where, where it kind of, cause after that middle section, when we, when we get, you know, kind of past, I guess for me, I was talking about like 12, 13 minutes, um, when things kind of really just, just go out into effects world. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of mentioned, well, yeah, you know, it might, it's not, it's not as danceable or, you know, it, you, you can lose focus if you're not listening closely um, or, you know, if you're not intent on, on hearing everything. Mm-hmm. And so what I do find is that while I am focusing on that and things are, are going off in that place, um, Fishman is sometimes one of the more, one of the, one of the more interesting band members to listen to. Right. Um, especially when you give something like this a couple listens. Yeah. Um, and kind Definitely. of try to listen for different things. Um, it, it really does start to stand out uh, how unique his playing is and how how much he is impacting yeah. uh, the, the various places that, that these gyms go. Yeah. And, and obviously now I want to talk about, you know, the last four or five minutes of the jam, this incredibly euphoric peak that just it really just kind of comes out of nowhere at around 13 and a half minutes you know Paige um and mike initiate this uh you know this bliss progression um and trey immediately latches onto it um you know with the kind of delay and echo stuff that he's doing he's you know there are a lot of jams where you can hear him use this kind of effect and style that he uses uh, at the beginning here
also the Dix Carini from 2017 uh, has a peak that utilizes this. Uh, were you there? I was. Ah, great show. Um, but, you know, the, the, what's cool to me about this ending thing, and, you know, a lot of what we saw in 2021 with Fish um, is Paige using um, the Moog a lot more than he's using the organ. Um, and he uses the Moog one um, in this ending peak in a role that would normally be filled by the organ in previous years. So as this long sustained chord, and I think it, it, it adds such a different dimension to it than when he would use the organ, you know, you've got this, obviously the synthier sound, um, but it, it more, it, it lies below, you know, Trey's playing more. Um, and I think it, it's more of a, it's more of a textural and background things. I think the Morgan, the Morgan, the organ is more, up front uh to the jam but this this peak is something that i come back to over and over and over and they just build um and it's just it's it's so wonderful to listen to yeah the the peak and and you know and the ultimate return um you know obviously in stark contrast to to amsterdam where you know the, the the song was abandoned and and they hadn't really um shortly after you know the, the next um the next you know europe play um and then when they finally brought it back um at msg they had they had they had worked a lot of that out mm-hmm. um and but yeah so so the amsterdam version you know we never we never you know we we never really got that that triumphant you know return and completion um but yeah, this the the ending is good. Um, I, that was that was certainly, um, you know, I was happy to to hear them come back into that jam. You know, after after the the effects journey, um, but yeah, loved loved the the finish um, for an encore. You know, when you add in that context, uh, that's it, it was it was definitely an impressive version in that right. Mm-hmm. Now. You know, I did listen to um, shortly after shortly after the it was played the the Pelham version mm-hmm. um, from July thirtieth of, of last year. I think is probably my favorite of the newer versions that I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've had the I've also had the Alpharetta twenty eighteen. I love version. that one. Love um, in a, in a playlist for a while. So so, I would say that uh, you know, in terms of of over the last you know three, four, five years, um, the Alpharetta Carini is probably the Carini that I've listened to the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, I like the Pelham. Um, I like this San Francisco version as well. Pro- probably not quite as much, um, and. You know, I obviously chose Amsterdam, um, obviously because of my personal kind of association and history with that version. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a fan. You know, it's such a fantastic jam. It's almost unfair to call that whole jam Carini in some ways. Right. Um, it's it's you know Carini in Amsterdam is more of just a stop on the way of the greater journey that was started with the disease. You know, it's not even really a fully formed song yet as you mentioned earlier, as they would work on. And, you know, to me, it's interesting that they started it with this huge, you know, sprawling version, but then it wouldn't really get 
jammed out again until like 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you uh, know, the, the twelve thirty twelve version, I think I correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe that was the first version to really go outside the box. Um, like really outside the box since the Amsterdam one, uh, which then obviously gave way to the incredible 2013 that Carini had, um, you know, legendary Hampton, um, and uh and atlantic city and msg ones um which are all phenomenal um yeah it's 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 interesting to chart the path of carini because it has those years like um 20 2017 or uh you know 2013 where the versions that are played are absolutely incredible you know multi 20 multiple 20 minute versions played in a single year um, multiple huge type two versions in a single year. And then you'll go, you know, pick another year of 3.0 where every version of Carini is less than 12 minutes. Right. And, you know, a lot of the time, you know, a song will consistently deliver jams or there will be, you know, it consistently delivered jams. 1.0 didn't again until 2017 and then has since then in the case of something like tube, um, but yeah, Karini is a lot more inconsistent. So it, it's interesting to look at, you know, the journey of the song as a jam vehicle. Yeah, yeah. And you're much more well-versed in the in the 3.0, um, you know, historical perspective than mm-hmm. I am. Um, I do want to go, I, I do want to share just a couple final thoughts um, about Amsterdam, you know, I think we, we definitely covered the Carini really well. Just to close out that piece of music, you know, we you go we go into the taste uh, coming out of the Carini, and the the climax, the the way that the climax of taste rolls back into down with disease is so good. It's and and you know it's it's one of those it's one of those moments that you know I can't help but but have goosebumps every time I hear that. Um, goosebumps? You know, it's, <laughs> and Rim no shot. pun intended. And, <laughs> you know, much like um, yeah. my first show in Lincoln with the the good times, bad times segue back into Tweezer Reprise to close out the first set. Oh. Um, Talk about energy. Just amazing, you know, amazing climactic segues, you know, not, not just something melting into something very nicely. I mean, just, just raging and climaxing a song and, and at that, at that level of Mm. energy, perfectly segueing in, um, into, into, into another kind of high energy song or, or, or ending Ending. of a song in in the case of, of down disease. Um, and so, you know, at the time, what was interesting is that, you know, of course, we didn't know what this song was called. We didn't know mm-hmm. what this new Karini song was called. And we 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 so happened to be traveling with a taper and he was from Canada. Oh, um, I, I lost I, I lost touch with um, with him and, and most most of the other folks that we met on that tour. Um, but so we sat on the train the next day and just listen straight off, off his dat. And he had it labeled as, so Lucy with a lumpy head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he basically had 
sickness jam. Nice. <laughs> as a as a segue out of this out of this new Lucy with a lumpy head um, song. Um, so yeah, so I, I I'll never forget being huddled around his dad on the train, and and that's all everyone wanted to hear. You know, right? Of that, course. The first thing that the next day was was that whole jam. So of course. Um, and so yeah, and so it was it was Lucy with a lumpy head um, for a while, and and maybe you'd be able to to tell me when it officially changed to Karini. I see. I don't know because you know obviously back then there was no. Um, you know, official set list being released by the band or whatever. So uh, if anyone can, uh, I, you know, I probably should know this bit of trivia, uh, but if anyone can uh, let us know um, when the fan base became aware uh, that the band was called Karini, was it at MSG? Was it earlier? Was it later? Let us know. Uh, but I do want to take this opportunity to segue uh, into a little bit of discussion about this other band that we both really like. Um, you know, and obviously, uh, the fish comparison, uh, with goose happens all the time, but I, I do want to, I want to touch on it for a few minutes. Um, you know, obviously fish has a ton of influence on, uh, the members of goose, you know, all of them have, uh, you know, said that they're fish fans, except for Jeff, who has only, you know, been introduced to fish in the last uh, couple of years. Um, if you do want to hear one of them talk about it, um, Ben Atkind, a.k.a. Spuds, did a great episode of Helping Friendly Podcast uh, just over a year ago, I think, uh, where he talked about uh, getting into fish. Um, and also, I did uh, interview uh, Coach uh, John Lombardi, their stage manager, um, and we talked about Ghost last year. That is episode five. Episode six. There we go. I, my memory doesn't work sometimes. Episode six if we move through stormy weather. But, um, you know, I, I did warn you that I was going to ask this question the other day. But if, if, you know, if you could see Goose cover any fish song, what fish song would you like to see them cover the most? It's Ice. Mm. Why It's Ice? I think that... Um... So I, you know, I like it because it's not one of the obvious choices. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it because it has a, you know, it has some some really nice composed um, music to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the, but but nothing great. You know, it's it's not not Reba level composed or divided sky level composed. I mean, I would say that it's ice is one of fish's most difficult songs. You know, that there's that crazy middle section before the jam. That's just absolutely nuts. Like, I'm not saying, you know, goose could absolutely, uh, you know, do it very, very well. Um, I've seen, but, I've seen lesser bands, um, pull off yes. its ice. So I, I, I have full confidence. Uh, the, the other thing that I like about its ice is it does have, just that open middle jam space mm-hmm. for them to kind of, um, I feel like it's ice is a really good opportunity to showcase, you know, obviously, you know, your, your influences, you know, your reverence for, um, you know, a band that, uh, that, that means so much to a lot of these guys. Um, so it, you know, it gives you that opportunity. It's um, it's not, it's not one of the most straightforward pieces. Um, so it's, 
it, it is unique in that right. It's not it's not the fish cover that you would think when you when you see a lot of, of bands that might just drop occasional fish covers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you probably not usually going to see its ice. Um, it, it is a little bit more of a complex tune. Um, and then obviously, like I said, that middle jam section really then gives them the opportunity to, um, without taking anything away from the the way that Fish plays its ice, it allows you to put your own spin in, you know, within the song as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, that's, I think what I, what I really like about that the most, um, it just, it, it gives you, um, you know, so many different ways to, to approach the song for you as a band. And then also how you present it to your fans, um, giving, giving them, you know, um, a, a version of the song that's, that's both true to the original artist and also has room for you to, um, kind of put your own you know, signature or fingerprints on it. So, yeah. And now the, and now the most important question about this, which member of goose sings it's ice? Well, it's, I mean, Rick should sing it, everything. I, it, I, I don't, okay. <laughs> Rick has an incredible voice, but I, I don't know if it's ice, you know, it's ice is a page song. Um, I don't know if that, you know, I don't know if it would fit Rick's vocal range as much. Um, you know, so that, that's, you know, something just occurred to me. Sure. Um, obviously, yes, Rick is the... Well, wasn't, wasn't Pancakes a Peter song? True. You know what? <laughs> you know what? That's true. Anything is possible. Um, and then obviously we've got the really cool multi-part, you know, um, harmonies. Yes, which Rick and Peter are very good at. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. It's ice. Yeah. Um, hopefully, hopefully we see it. You know what? Goose, if you're listening, you should play It's Ice. Coach, make it happen. Make it happen. Um, yeah, you know, Brian and I, uh, the two of us, we do like talking about Goose uh, quite a bit with each other. Um, and we are very, very excited to announce uh, right now that we are starting um, Always Almost There, um, a Goose podcast uh, under the We Move Through Stormy Weather umbrella. Uh, so the fish episodes will continue as normal, um, but the two of us, um, you know, are very excited to do episodes um, about. Uh, you know, we will be doing tour recaps uh, with the uh, rest of the guys. If you remember from our episode on the Jam of the Year bracket, uh, so the five of us will be taking on tour recaps. The first one will be coming out uh, very soon after this leg of winter tour wraps up. Um, talking about any albums that come out um or just other cool things about goose that we like it's goose talk goose talk we're, we're we're very excited about it uh you know we've teased it on social media a little bit um and if you are the first person uh to tweet us uh tag at jive goose and at stormy podcast um if you tag us uh with the hashtag always almost there uh, you will be the very first recipient of Always Almost There stickers uh, when they are created with our super awesome logo. Um, there, look out for an official announcement uh, a little bit later this week uh, where we will give you all the information you need uh, on uh, what to expect from Always Almost There going forward. Uh, we are very, very excited about it. Uh, we've already got some guests that we're going to have on in the future. Um, some great ideas. And so we're really excited and we hope you are too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
super stoked. Ryan and I go way back. Um, I mean, what's it been? 14, 15 months. Crazy. Um, it's been forever. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I Ryan reached out, um, you know, I guess, I guess a little over a year ago now mm-hmm. um, about the first GM of the year bracket. Um, and then, and then since then it's, yeah, it's, it's just been a steady diet of um, just about daily banter. Um, a lot of really good discussions, mm-hmm. um, you know, debates, um, you know, is, is the Frederick creatures that good? I don't know. It is. But, but we've debated it. We, it, it has been debated. <laughs> is the Perry Empress that good? That has been even more yes. hotly debated. Um, but we're yeah, we're really excited to bring you guys uh, that uh, banter and analysis. Um, you know, really, really soon. So look out for that. Um, and I think that's a you know uh, it's really great finally getting to talk uh, in depth uh, about fish with you. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, really excited to get uh, talking to Goose uh, in a more professional setting. Uh, in the future Um, so yeah thank you Brian so much for being on this episode of We Move Through Stormy Weather really appreciate it my pleasure Uh, and thank you everybody for listening to this episode of We Move Through Stormy Weather I hope you have a fantastic day see you next time Hey music fans, we wanted to let you know about Music on the Mountain, a show that will feature Anders Osborne, Dogs in a Pile, and Saints and Liars. This show will be directly after the Divided Sky Foundation's fun run at 2 p.m. on Saturday, May 18th at the base of Akimo Mountain in Ludlow, Vermont. The show is presented by The Phoenix, a national nonprofit organization offering support to those in recovery and anyone impacted by substance use to celebrate recovery. If you're running in the Divided Sky Foundation's fund run, you'll be automatically registered for the show. It's a family-friendly event, and all proceeds from ticket sales and other donations benefit the Divided Sky Foundation. Visit Music on the Mountain, that's musiconthemtn.com for more info and to get tickets. That's musiconthemtn.com. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.